blessing, Jesus.
good to be here this morning. Brian asked us last week to open up for him, and I hope he doesn't mind that I brought my little friend with me this morning. Uh, God put a little thing on my heart this morning to to share, and I hope the people that are involved with it don't mind me sharing, but uh, a few weeks ago, I'll start by saying this, I'm real thankful to be back in the church house for Sunday school. Uh, I'm thankful for everything that Barry did while we were gone, but uh, it's, it's, there's nothing beats being in the house for Sunday school, and I'm thankful for it. But uh, going off of that, a few weeks ago, uh, after church one night, I wandered outside and I saw a group of people gathered together, and I thought, well, I'll go over there and say hi. And when I got over there, they were talking about Sunday school. I didn't, I didn't know they were having a, a meeting to talk about Sunday school. And when they were talking about it, they were trying to figure out a way to get us back in this church house safely for Sunday school. And they, they, what they were doing was they were fighting for our church to get back in the church house for Sunday school. And that just filled my cup up. You could feel the desire and the passion that they had and the importance that was needed in order to get in this church house. And I'm thankful for to be a part of a church where its leaders will fight to get us back in the church house when we can't be here. Uh, and I'm just so thankful for that. Um, and we'll just... Uh, that's all that we had on our heart, and so uh, we'll just ask uh, Sean to dismiss us uh, in prayer to Sunday school. good to be here this morning. Appreciate everybody uh, for coming out. And uh, I'll tell you, last Sunday, I usually sit in the back when Brother Carl teaches, and I love to hear Brother Carl teach. And He got started. He was in, I think, last week was the 42nd chapter of Genesis. And he said something in his opening comments. He said, this is the third week in a row that I've taught on Joseph. And he said, there's, there's one more lesson and uh, it just hit me right then. I thought, oh, man, he's, he's going to ask me to teach. I don't even know if Carl knew at that point. Uh, but Sunday night, I was sitting over where I usually sit, and uh, I saw Brother Carl come around the front, and he headed over toward me. And I knew, I already knew what was coming. And he said, hey, do you think you could teach? And I said, well, I can try. Um, uh, I, and I told him, the Lord had already kind of let me know that it may fall my lot on this one. 
Uh, I love to hear Brother Carl teach, and I can't teach like him. I just teach like me, and if the Lord moves, uh, that's good. Uh, you know, it, it worries me teaching on Joseph. Brother Carl's asked me to teach two or three times, and one time it was Ezekiel, the will, in the middle of the will. And I, boy, I'm not near smart enough to teach that. And, and I've, I've tried to, and, but the Lord blessed in those. The reason I say it worries me teaching about Joseph, it, it's one of my very favorite topics in the whole Bible. I love Joseph. I love his character. I love what he did. But if God don't move, I'm just up here saying a bunch of words. And so uh, sometimes the things that we enjoy or we think are maybe the easy things we rely on ourselves. Maybe we don't re rely on God. So I sure want to rely on him this morning. So you pray for me. And uh, again, I sure appreciate Brother Carl. I told him this morning, I said, man, your Sunday school class will be so glad next Sunday when you're back teaching again. But uh, as uh, Jeremy was talking, and I was trying to find it, and I, I, I've read it several times. I know it's in our church covenant. But one of the things in our church covenant says that we agree to religiously educate our children. How many people think they're getting a religious education in the public school? Let me see all your hands. No. Now, we can religiously educate our kids at home, and, and Becky and I tried to do that. We would have time of prayer. We would read Bible. We would talk about the church services when we would leave church, we would, you know, we would get in our minivan and we would say, what do you think about the service today? What do you think about, was there anything that stood out? We would try to have those conversations. I think that's all part of religious education. Um, and, you know, we would say, well, was there anything that seemed really good or anything that seemed out of place? And especially if, there, you know, if, some, if in my opinion, somebody had maybe stood up and did something when they shouldn't have or, or just, you know, what didn't move right, I guess, for the lack of a better term. We would ask our kids about that and see what they thought and try to talk to them about that. I think that's so important to do. You know, I coached my kids in sports when they were in elementary school. Becky coached them some when they were in junior, at the junior high level. Um, and when the game was over, we would sometimes we would video and if we didn't video we would at least go back and talk about it and they got tired of me talking about it because i'd want to talk about it sometimes for hours uh and they, they they'd be ready to go on something else but we would try to talk about you know here you did good and here this was a good decision but you could have executed better well the same thing applies to church uh, if we want to have young people, and I think we do, and I think our youth group does a great job with them. I know they do a lot of those things, but it's so important to religiously educate them. So I appreciate Sunday school, and I'm glad, just like Jeremy said, that we're back in the building. So, Okay, Genesis 45 is where we're at uh, today, and uh, it's... It really, it skips one verse, but I'll probably go ahead and read it. It's the first 15 verses in Genesis 45. Now, if you have, and everybody has probably been to a play or read a book or watched a movie, um, and I love murder mysteries, uh, and I love to read, I've read a few books on some of those, watched a lot of movies. In murder mysteries, there is always a scene right at the end where the whole thing comes together. And you if, if you haven't figured out what's going on, there's the scene in the movie or the book, the story, 
where it all comes together and you, and you get to understand, okay, well, it was the butler that did it or, or whatever. Okay, so chapter 45 is that scene for Joseph's story. But in order, and, and Carl's done a great job of laying it all out, and there's a couple of chapters in between where he stopped last week and where I'm at today. So I just want to kind of set the scene so everybody understands where we're at, all right? So everybody knows the story of Joseph, but his brothers got jealous. They sold him into slavery. He's taken to Egypt, and he's there for at the point that this story happens, he's probably been in Egypt about 15 years. And God has blessed him and he has worked his way up. He's now second in command, only second to Pharaoh. And there's this great famine that hits the land. And some of these things, which I believe this all happened naturally, but some of these things have such a spiritual relevance or you can uh, relate them to what goes on in our lives spiritually but there's a famine that hits the land and because of that famine his brothers are forced to go to Egypt to buy food well they come down to Egypt and Joseph sees them and he recognizes them but it's been again I think 15 years because when they sold him into slavery he was 17 and he's, maybe it's longer than that. It might even be 20 years at this point. I think it's probably closer to 20 years since I'm thinking about it. He's probably 37 to 39. I've looked at a couple of different timelines, and I know Brother Carl taught about that some too. But he's probably 37 to 39 when they come down there. So it's been 20 to 22 years. They don't recognize him. One, they're not expecting to see Joseph. They think he's dead or long gone, and they sure don't expect to see him run in Egypt. So he's there. Well, he sells them some food, but only after he puts them in jail for a few days and accuses them of being a spy. And he's pretty rough on them, but it all has a purpose. Uh, and so he keeps uh, one of the brothers in Egypt, and he tells them, he says, you, you boys go back home. And he said, but when you come back to buy more food, I'll only sell you more food if your youngest brother's with you. Because he wanted to see Benjamin. That was his full brother. His only full brother out of his 11 brothers was Benjamin. He wanted to see him. And, uh, and he also knew that if his dad was still alive, he'd be able to get his dad to come to Egypt if he kept Benjamin or if, 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 you know, if, if, it, if he, they'd bring Benjamin down there. So, uh, so they, they head back out after he sold them food. He's kept one of the brothers. I think it was Simeon. Uh, and... They get about halfway home. This is what Brother Carl taught on last week. They open their sacks, and their money is all still in their sack. He put all their money back in the bags. Well, they become real concerned at this point because he's got their brother, and they know they're going to need him for more food, and they're thinking, he's, this guy's going to think we stole his money. We didn't, but that's what he's going to think. So they get back home. It's pretty interesting when they get home that they tell their dad, <clears throat> What's going on? And this is after Carl's lesson last week. But they tell their dad, and uh, he says, no, Benjamin's not, we're not going to send Benjamin back down there. I, I, I'm not going to do that. Uh, you, you take him off, and he'll, he'll get killed like Joseph did. I'm not sending Benjamin. And so I don't know how long it was, but there was some time that passed, and I think that's in chapter 43. If you look, it says, 
Not until they ate all the food did they have this, they come back around to this conversation of, hey, Dad, we need to go back to Egypt and get some more food. We need to take Benjamin. No, not taking Benjamin. Again, this famine and now this being run out of food, and it makes me think of the prodigal son. He never got to the point where that he needed to take, or that he did take some steps to correct his situation until he was in just a terrible spot. Well, that's the same way here. If you look at, you know, Jacob and these boys, they, they ate the food. As long as there was plenty of food, I'm sure they were concerned, but they weren't, he wasn't sending Benjamin, you know. So they run out of food. And finally, Judah. And, and I want to take just a, we'll take a, a sidestep here for just a minute because a beautiful picture, I think, of, of what Judah does with his dad and then what he does uh, as we get into this story. Um, but Judah talks to Jacob and says, we got to have Benjamin or we're going to starve to death. I'll take him, I'll, I'll be responsible for him. I'll, I'll Put him under my care, essentially. I'll make sure he's all right. Let us take him, because we're going to all die if we don't take Benjamin. And so whenever you say Judah, I think of the lion of the tribe of Judah. And, and Judah here starts representing, which Joseph is a representation of Christ throughout his entire story, but Judah here certainly is a representation of Christ with what he does. And he, and it's still before we get to chapter 45, so I'll just keep summarizing it. Judah, they go down and they get some more food and Joseph still doesn't reveal himself to his brothers. And he gives them food and he puts their money back in their sacks and he plants a cup in Benjamin's sack. And he lets them get just out of the gate and get started. And he sends some soldiers and says, go get them. They check their bags. They've stolen from us. And so they bring them back. And Joseph says, well, let's empty out these sacks. Well, lo and behold, it's Benjamin that's got the cup in his sack. Joseph says, well, he's going to be my servant. I'm going to keep him here. Well, boy, all of his brother's hearts, and especially Judah's heart, is just failing at this point. I mean, can you think about where they're at? So this is all setting the scene for where we're getting ready to start here. But I love the last part of chapter 44. If you get a chance to read it, Judah says, Master, talking to Joseph, again, still doesn't know it's his brother. He says, can I talk to you? For, can, I, can we have a conversation? And he tells him, he said, please don't do this. Take me. Let, let me stay. You know, let me stay in my brother's stead because... In my words, this is going to kill my dad if, if you keep Benjamin down here. And he tells him the whole story. He just says, this is what's happened. And I've, I've told my dad, I'll, I'll stand and I'll make sure Benjamin's safe. We brought him down here because you wanted to see him. But don't do this. Let, let me stay in his place. Boy, a lion of the tribe of Judah. I mean, Christ took our place. I mean, we, we couldn't have fulfilled it. And Judah is looking at this, and that's such symbolism of what's going to come out of the tribe of Judah so many years later. But So that brings us up 
to the start of chapter 45. Judah has just had this conversation and he said these things to Joseph and the hall is full. It's full of Egyptians. Joseph is there. Joseph's brothers are there. They're essentially having a little trial. And lo and behold, what happens? So let's start here in chapter 45. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried. Um, he was so emotional. There are so many emotions taking place with Joseph at this point because he knows everything and nobody else knows. He knows that he's getting ready to reconcile with his brothers, but they're going to have so many feelings of guilt. They're going to be ashamed. And he knows that he's getting ready to have some discussion with his family that he hasn't had for 20 years. He's going to talk about them bringing his dad to him, and he wants to see his dad. And, you know, the emotions that he had here and in, in some of the commentary uh, it, it said some of the words that they use are just mean extreme emotion. I mean, he was uh, so overcome that he just could not hold it in anymore, the secret that he had. Uh, so pretty interesting. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. So he, he told all the Egyptians and all his staff, excuse yourself, go out of the hall. It's just going to be me and my, my brothers. A great point that I think is, is so important here. And looking at Joseph as a type and a shadow of Christ. Now Joseph wasn't perfect, but he's certainly a type and a shadow of Christ. When Christ spoke to me, I was in a whole church full of people when he got my attention. But it was just me and him. It was personal. When Christ gets your attention, when he speaks to you, you might be in a, you might be, this crowd, this church might be completely full, but it's just you and him. It's a personal experience between you and Christ. Joseph felt the need, and he wanted to have this just very personal, close time with him and his brothers. They had some very important things that they needed to go over, and he wanted to have that. But it just makes such a great point. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. So I don't know where this hall was in comparison to where the other buildings were. Uh, I don't know that it, I know that he wept aloud and I believe that they could hear him through the doors. They knew something was going on. They knew he was, was very troubled at this point. Um, but he didn't care, uh, I think is, is the thing. His emotions, he needed to have this conversation. He didn't care uh, what they thought uh, he just wanted to have this reconciliation with his brothers and his family. But they certainly heard, and the word made it back to Pharaoh. You got to, I mean, I don't know if the, the scriptures, to my knowledge, don't say. I wonder if he had shared this with Pharaoh already. Some of the things that he says makes me think that maybe that he had, but maybe he hadn't. It doesn't, it, it really doesn't matter. 
he had enough favor with Pharaoh and he trusted God enough that whether he'd had a conversation before or he told him later what he wanted, Pharaoh blessed him and let him do what he wanted. Um, does anybody have a comment before we go on? I appreciate your prayers. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? Now, he had already asked, is my father alive? Back in chapter 44, he had asked him, uh, he didn't ask him in those, those words, but he said, is your father alive? And they told him, yeah, he is. Um, so some of the commentaries on this said he was just wanting to double check to make sure that they had told him completely everything. Other ones said that he just wanted uh, his brothers to understand some of the pain and the sorrow that they had caused him. I'm not really sure which one it is, but he wanted to make sure that Jacob was still alive, and, and he was. Uh, but in this conversation, uh, I would have loved, this is one of those times I would love to have just been able to have been a fly on the wall, so to speak, and listened to him talking to his brothers. Now I want you to notice as we go through this, most of the conversation most of the crying, as far as I can tell, most of the emotion is coming from Joseph. His brothers are shell-shocked. They, I mean, they, they're, the old saying, you look like you've seen a ghost, right here it is. I mean, they can't even speak, but let's get on in, into this where the scripture tells us that. And his brethren could not answer him. For they were troubled at his presence. I mean, you talk about, and I've had a few of those instances. I know everybody probably has where you're like, you got to be kidding. That, that just happened? That's where these guys are at. And on top of that, it's not, I mean, I'm sure there was some joy. Joseph's alive. This is really him. But the guilt that starts to sink in here from what they've done, and then... If I'm them, my mind automatically starts turning and going, oh man, we're going to have to go back and tell dad what we did. Think about that. I mean, we got to go back and tell dad that the whole thing was a hoax and we've kept it from him for 20 years. So a lot of, a lot of fear, angst, but Joseph is the one, I mean, Joseph is so overjoyed, he sees this plan that God's got set out, and he already understands it. But his brothers, man, they're struggling here. Put, think about, put yourself in their spot. And Joseph said unto his brethren, come near to me. So he was, they were probably in a big hall, and he was probably elevated, and they were down where the subjects would probably be is the way it is in my mind. And so he's up above them. There's some distance. He's so emotional, but he wants to get closer to them. And so, you know, think about how God is with us. You know, I mean, God is certainly above us, but Christ, again, put himself on our level, just like Joseph did here. Let's get closer together. So, I mean, he wants to get right with them where he can hug them, talk to them. So he's trying to convince them that it's really him. 
Because been 20 years, he was 17 when they saw him. He's in his mid to late 30s now. So, I mean, his appearance has changed. He's been talking to him through an interpreter. Now, he's talking to him in Hebrew, in their own language. Again, great symbolism. Christ will talk to us, to our heart, in a way we can understand. I mean, he'll, he'll talk right to you and explain it and, and make sure you know that it's really him. And that's what Joseph's doing here. He, I don't think when, when they got done with this meeting, I don't think any of his brothers had any doubt that was Joseph. I think they, really, they all knew. Um, so, And they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved. Consider his heart here. What a great heart. Nor angry with yourselves. You know, forgiving yourself when you've messed up is one of the hardest things that you'll ever do. I've done it. I've, I've, everybody in here has, but I'll just talk about me because I can talk about me. I've messed up and Sometimes those things still pop up in my mind and I just got to pray, Lord, help me, you know, help me put that in the back. But forgiving your, God will forgive you. If you go to, if you go to God, he'll forgive you. But this old flesh, them things, they rattle around in your mind and it's hard to forgive yourself. And Joseph, so intelligent. And I mean, empathetic. He, he already knew what his brothers were going to be going through. And he could, I'm sure, see it on their faces. And he loves them. Again, so much a symbol of, of Jesus. But he's saying, don't beat yourself up. Don't, don't be angry at yourself. Forgive yourself. And he, he goes on and starts telling them some things. But it takes me... Again, in the symbolism with Christ, when Christ was on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was, even at that point, when we were, we, because it was all of us, were being so mean to him, he had such sympathy and such love for all of us. So, again, a great parallel between Joseph here and that love that he has for his brothers, not wanting them to even remember what they had done to him. Does anybody have a comment? Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. So that's so what I'm saying. Joseph has already, God blessed him with this, with this insight, but he's already, he understands. If I wasn't here and we were having this famine, our whole family is probably wiped out. Our entire history is probably gone. God has set this up for me to be able to save all my family. And he's telling his brothers that trying to get them to understand it. For these two years hath the famine here in the land, and yet are five years, in the which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. So he's telling them, you think it's bad right now, and you, you need, you're here and you need food, we're going to have five more years of this. I've already seen it. And 
I'm here to, I'm here in this spot through what you did, but I'm here in this spot really through what God did to save our family. Yep. It's a great point. Uh, two or three years ago in Bible school, I taught one night and I taught over Joseph. And that was really my entire line of, of teaching that night. And that was, look at all the places Joseph, and if you substitute Joseph with Blaine, I can tell you, I wouldn't have been where he was. I, 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 I would have probably thrown my hands up and just said, I quit. You know, that's, I'm, I'm weak. I, I don't know that I could have done what he did. But all the places that he had where they sold him into slavery, they put him in a pit, sold him into slavery, and he's down in Egypt, he's doing the best he can. Uh, Patiphar's wife lies on him. He gets put in prison. Then he interprets these dreams. He thinks he's going to get out. And then the baker and the butcher forget him, and he's several more years. All these things that go wrong when he's doing the best he can, trying to do what God wants, but it's so important for us to persevere, stay where God wants us. I'm confident that there are times when things happen to us that seem like negative things. You know, somebody gets sick, somebody dies, you know, somebody's in the hospital. Fill in the blank, you know, so many different things that it could be. But the whole purpose is so that we can be seen by somebody that needs God in their life so that they can say, there's something different about that person. And if we don't persevere and do what God wants us to, we've lost that opportunity, maybe forever, to have an influence on that person. Uh, in, in this case, it was a whole bunch of people, and sometimes it can be a whole bunch of people. But that's a great point. I appreciate your, your comment. Uh, anybody else have a comment? All right, number seven. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives and be a great deliverance. How do you think his brothers felt about that comment? Do you think any of them go, well, here we go again? You know, Mr. Dream Interpreter, Mr. Special Boy, now he's going to be a great deliverance for us. I mean, I, even in their spot, the flesh is going to flare up. I mean, I, I mean, I got to think out of all of them, a few of them may have been jealous again at this point, but he's just telling them what they need to know. But jealousy is such a hard thing. Um, it, it really is. Uh, we just, I, you know, we got to be careful with it. Um, but, you know, you can, you can take seven, and if you put that in red letters, I mean, that could very easily be something that Jesus was saying to his disciples or to his, his followers or to us. I mean, God sent him here to preserve us. And while this posterity and what that's talking about is your family tree, 
It's talking about your, your lineage, okay, posterity. And here he's talking about a natural lineage of Jacob's family. But Christ, he preserved our posterity from a spiritual lineage. I mean, if it wasn't for him, we have no, no way of being redeemed. So, again, such great symbolism between Christ and Joseph here. So now it was not ye that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh. Now, I want to explain this. The term father here, it means governor. Uh, or uh, there's a couple of other terms, but essentially it's somebody that's in a position of authority. A magistrate or a governor, a judge, somebody that's doing something for the government here in Egypt. So this doesn't mean that he was a biological natural father to Pharaoh. He wasn't. But this just means that he was put in a position that he could help him. He's a governor. And Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Um, so he's telling them, you guys were just, I mean, you didn't do this. God had this plan put in place and I'm here for a purpose. So don't beat yourself up. Uh, we'll skip verse 9. That was the verse that, that they had left out. And we'll go on to 10. We're getting close on time. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen. Anybody got any comments on Goshen? He's telling them, go get, he told them, go get dad and bring him back here. I want the whole family down here in Egypt. I got plenty of food. And now he's telling them where they're going to live. Go back to the prodigal son for a minute. When the prodigal son came home, his father saw him afar off. He went and kissed him. The prodigal son said, just, just make me a servant. He said, nope, kill the fatted calf, get the ring, get the, the good garment. Uh, my son who's left has come home. Gave him the best, gave him what he had. Goshen. Joseph's telling him, I'm going to give you guys and you can live in the best piece of ground that Egypt has. You get it, Goshen. It's the, it's the fertile land. It's the best place. If you want to raise crops, Goshen is the best place to do it. You can raise your animals down there. There'll be plenty of grass. They can graze. He's given them the best there was. That's why I think one of two things. I think that he had either already talked to Pharaoh and Pharaoh had approved this or Pharaoh had previously given him Goshen and said, Goshen's yours, you can do with it what you want to. One of those two things. Uh, because certainly Pharaoh would have had to approve this, but Joseph is giving him the best. He's saying, come down here and be with me. Again, you see the symbolism of Christ. When Christ, I was lost, I was in famine, I, I had no other way. And he said, Come unto me. And when I got there, he gave me equal share of heaven. Uh, there isn't anything. Nobody's got any better than I've got. Not because I deserve it, just because of his mercy and his grace. And thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children and thy children's children, and thy flocks and thy herds and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. And behold, your eyes see in the eyes of my brother Benjamin, 
that it is my mouth that speaketh unto you. He's, I, think, I think they're still looking at him going, how can this be? And he's saying, you're seeing me. Benjamin's seeing me. You know, he, you know Dad would have no reason to doubt Benjamin uh, telling him that, you know, that, that I, I'm here and it's really me. Now here's 13. This is, I think they're, they get back, they get here to where he's telling them in 13. And again, I, if I'm them, my heart sinks when he says this. And ye shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt. Go tell dad what's going on. 20, 22 years they've been lying to Jacob. Joseph's dead. And now they got to go tell him Joseph's not dead. We sold him into slavery. And he's running Egypt, and he wants us all to come down there. And he said, we can have the best land there is. I mean, they already know that Joseph was their dad's favorite. And so now they got to go back and tell him. And, you know, Jacob, you know, could be angry. And a lot of emotions that, that he may have against the rest of them boys. Um, but... Joseph wants him to wants him to go tell him. And of all that ye have seen, and ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept unto his neck. And moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. And so, I mean, he, he's reconciling with them. And he, they accepted his reconciliation. Now, we're almost done. Uh, does anybody know if his brothers ever apologized? And if so, when? I think they did, but it wasn't right now. At least the scripture doesn't say that. But if you go over and look, when Jacob died, which was about 17 years later, 17 more years, when Jacob died, Joseph's brothers then apologized to him. But even at that point, I'm not sure how much of a heartfelt apology he got. I think it was more out of fear that since dad's gone and Joseph's running Egypt, he's going to 